Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics? They talk, we listen. Can you imagine getting into a business or a market where you actually spend a hundred billion plus on a piece of paper? Are you kidding me? It was like a frying pan of a head. I got nothing against CFOs. It was not just the job of a lifetime, it was the job of a thousand lifetimes. In the next few weeks over this period, I would like to introduce new followers to some of the past guests of Heads Talk, and in parallel, some of the great conversations I've had with C-suites of multinationals about the topics of the day in their area of business. I do hope you enjoy this Look Back series, and I have enjoyed sharing the first set of Look Back episodes late last year and very early this year. Um, There will be two guests in each episode and they will be introduced accordingly. I have often said that this episode is one of my favourites, if not the favourites. It was definitely in the top three of episodes that I've recorded on Heads Talk. And it's one of the early episodes that I recorded. Craig was the... CIO, the Chief Information Officer for Downstream Shell. He now works in Salesforce in the the office of the CEO. And um, we were colleagues um, years ago when we both worked in KPMG. Um, Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. You, you, You know, just have a listen for yourself. Yeah, I think we were on a journey. Mm -hmm. What has changed it so fundamentally now is the speed. So I, I can remember uh, back in the 1990s, the 2000s, when I headed up different strategy organizations, mm-hmm. we would look at building one to three year plans. You know, we had information plans and you would build these amazing plans with the business and you'd set out your strategy, et cetera. Mm-hmm. To be brutally honest right now, and probably for the last five years, and particularly in this COVID um, era that we find ourselves, If you can plan more than a year ahead, you are a genius. (laughs) We are moving so fast now that the key to everything we do, business and IT, is about flexibility, agility, customer centricity, looking at what you need right now and in the foreseeable future and getting to that really fast. You know, I think gone, I wouldn't say gone are the days of the big projects, but this is about being fast, focused and it's about speed to value. It's not about writing separate plans. It's not about the business doing their thing over here and then saying, IT, how can you enable us to do this? It's about building the plan together. This isn't even about IT partnering with the business. I hate that word as well. We are the business. We are all part of the business. So you build the plans together. You, you do that in an iterative process. There's some things that are going to work fast because of the technology, other things that might not be, uh, be uh, ready yet, and the business might be disappointed if they put that in their plan and think IT is going to enable it. So you build the plan together, and you're focused on the next six, nine, 12 months out. Of course, you have the big vision. Mm-hmm. It's about thinking big, but it's about all those smaller steps you're going to take to get there. Understand the house you want to build, Have that in mind, but you might start in all different places, but you're driving towards that final vision you have, which may sit 18 months, two months, three years out. But you can bet your bottom dollar in today's world, it's going to change and constantly change. 
And that's why everyone who works on a business with a business has to be in the room for these things. You can no longer plan in separation. You can no longer budget in separation. It has to be done jointly. Mm -hmm. what, what I'm getting from this is it's pretty much your ethos in terms of how teams work together and to cut out the sort of the, the separation, not just physical separation, but name separation in, in, in yes. that. Yes. We're gonna go into greater detail about that in, in terms of um, how you view teams, your leadership styles. So um, let's just park that point for the time being, but let's pick up a point that you also mentioned, which was about the sort of the old big IT implementation projects that we've all embarked on. You know, the approach to the project is very different, very, very different from the old big implementations that, you know, we've all worked on. And um, we talk a lot about the agile methodologies now, small but very small projects working together, small, flexible teams. What's your impression? How do you see companies approaching big implementations now? And how has that impacted the role of the CIO in this space? Well, I think big implementations are still going to exist, yeah? Um, because there are things that are just big and complex mm -hmm. to do. But I, but I think the caution there is, when you look at some of the major projects that have been done by, by many of us in the past, and most of us bear scars from doing those, mm -hmm. some of these things took one, two, three years to be done. Mm -hmm. uh, they cost tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. And at the end of the day, they always disappointed in some way. Yes. I think you do these big implementations, and then it takes you a number of years to get it right. And certainly when I was um, global CIO of Shell, Shell Downstream, if you took, say, our global implement, uh, implementation of SAP, mm -hmm. ran for 50,000, 60,000 uh, uh, users 24-7 um, across the world. It was one of the biggest implementations out there. We had a very simple um, strategy around it. It was three S's. Simplify, shrink, sustain. Make sure you use that big central system for what it's best at. SAP is magnificent at doing the financials, doing the books, doing the accounts, doing the invoicing. Magnificent at inventory and tracking that inventory movement and holding that inventory and, all, and uh, your supply chain and all those good things. Use it for that. Simplify it back to what it should be for. Get it into a sustainable mode. And then in the deed, um, in case of um, that particular um, uh, system, we were doing uh, releases quarterly, monthly, and weekly, depending on the risk. So the big systems are very important to you. You know, I have Maximo, Primavera, Compass, Ariba, very, very important systems. But they're not where the money's made. Those systems are about master data. They're about efficiency and effectiveness and accuracy, and they're systems of record. Once you've got those where you want them, I was in no rush. You know, I would upgrade to the latest patch releases because that's important these days from a security point of view and for added functionality. But neither myself nor the business was in any rush to replace them. Because where the money is made, where the real difference is made, where the transformation is made is around the edge of those big systems. So I think a lot of companies have entered an era of saying, right, I've consolidated my big systems. I know certain of those suppliers would like us to upgrade to the latest and greatest, but actually very few of those are upgrade paths. They're actually re-implementations. That's gonna cost me a lot of money again. I'm not sure I actually wanna do that. What I wanna do now is use these more modern cloud-based uh, systems of which obviously Salesforce is one, where I'm gonna use it as a wrapper to those systems and I'm gonna work fast. 
I'm going to look at where we really have burning bridges, where we have opportunities in the marketplace, where I see an opportunity for a new business stream, for a new way of working, for a new, um, uh, for a new um, innovative way of dealing with our suppliers, our customers, even our employees. Because remember, everybody's desire from IT is changing and COVID has pushed that faster. It's not just about our customers. Our suppliers want to work with us differently. Our employees expect something different. Our, our third party maintenance company, our logistics company, they expect to be connected to us. Mm -hmm. So building wrappers around these big systems in fast iterative ways with agile teams, as you say, um, with a product mindset rather than a project uh, mindset is the way you accelerate this speed to value, which was all important to me. What is my speed to value? And I'm going to measure my success and my team's success by what we deliver to the business. Did another 10,000 people come through the door? Did we sell another thousand tons of product as we said we would if we put, put in the system? Did another million people sign up to the loyalty scheme because of that new application release? Mm -hmm. The metrics become about different things because my big central systems I'm in charge. I'm the CIO. I'm, I expect table stakes of 99.9% .9 uptime. I expect secure, reliable operations. But when I talk to the business, whether it be a mistake we've made or an investment we've made that has been successful, I talk value. You know, if I have my quarterly review with the retail, the EVP from retail, I, he, he doesn't give a damn about the uptime of my servers. But if, uh, but if something went wrong and, I don't know, we um, shut down payment processing in Malaysia at 9 a.m. on a Monday morning at the retail sites, I have to sit there and go, sorry, Ishvan, I just cost you $300,000. It's going to cost $30,000 to put that right. Let's have a business decision on whether you want to spend the money to stop that happening again. We think there's a one in five chance it'll happen again this year because of the problem we've seen. You've got to move things to business decisions because to be honest, even the separation of IT investment budget is ludicrous. This is business expenditure. The business should decide, am I going to spend this on steel? Am I going to spend it on marketing? Am I going to spend it on training? Am I going to spend it on safety? Am I going to spend it on buying more trucks or building more pipeline? Or do I spend it on IT? It's a business decision. The days are gone where IT is something separate. We should run IT because yeah. it is IT. I'm the professional. I'm the CIO. I have a professional team, but I'm absolutely lockstep with the business. Make sense? Yes, it does. It, it's, I, mean, I mean, if you were to use some a quick buzzwords to explain what you're saying, it's like smart investments, smart implementation. Yes. You're moving yes. to that. Right. Follow the money. Where is the value? You know, yeah. and sometimes with transformation, we all know that it's not the technology that's the problem. We can do amazing things these days. I mean, I'm sure in 10 years time, people will say, oh, poor old Craig, he had to rely on a smartphone. Now, look, I just tap my head and the chip switches <laughs> on. I mean, things will move forward. But let's be honest, there's not a lot we can't do right now. We're held back by data. We all know that. Our, our problem is we have too much data. It's not set up the right way. If you look at an oil and gas company, you know, if you look at Shell, for 100, 120 years, we've been brilliant at selling product down product verticals. You put shell on the can, people go, that's, that's good. I recognize that brand. I know it's quality. It's got product providence. It's great stuff. Now, of course, I want to look at a customer. What are all the interactions I have with that customer across different platforms in different ways? And how do I treat the customer as the center of my world rather than the product at the center of my world? So you're, you're that is a difficult shift. You're leading me quite nicely into my next question, which is about big data. 
Yes. Now big data has changed the way we do things in business. Um, you started talking about it in Shell. So first, let's look at that organization before your current organization, Salesforce. Um, how has it helped um, uh, big data in, in terms of, for example, predictive maintenance or, I don't know, precision information to enable cost-cutting activities? I think this must be quite exciting for, for businesses where, for example, maintenance work is driven by actual events rather than routine activities against a set time. Um, oh, yeah. Can you tell us about that? Well, you, these days, whatever business you're in, you have put equipment out there that is, that is sending back a wealth of data. And the question is, how do you use that data? Mm. And as we know, with many examples from, 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 from medicine to gas turbines, yes, um, machine learning, artificial intelligence, whatever you want to call it, is better at spotting trends and patterns than humans are. Mm-hmm. So if you, so one of the things that I see, um, well, a lot of customers of Salesforce doing, but, but, but certainly the oil and gas companies, I'm running big assets. I'm running those big assets all around the world. And I tend to use pretty much the same, uh, the same equipment in it. A gas compressor there is probably the same as I'm running in many different parts of the world in the upstream and the downstream. I have lots of experts out there at those sites looking at how things are running. Actually, it makes more sense to bring those experts back to a central place be collecting the data, using the data um, at the point of um, process control, filtering that data for the operations center on site, filtering that data again, bringing it back, doing analysis on it, such that a system can alert the expert to, hey, I'm seeing a same vibration pattern in, uh, I don't know, my refinery in Singapore, as I saw at my wellhead on the same piece of equipment um, in Oman a month ago. Within a week, it failed. You might want to look at this. So you're absolutely right. Mm. But to do it, do not underestimate the difficulty of doing it. Because the thing about AI and machine learning is it needs gazillions of rows of data to start to spot the trends and to get really accurate. Mm. So you've got to build up the data and you get to a certain threshold and it starts to really help you. And I think, you know, this is also one of those things where people shouldn't yeah, we see a lot in the press about, oh, we, you know, we'll come out of COVID, a lot of people won't get jobs back because COVID has accelerated this, a lot of this automation. Mm-hmm. Jobs are going to change. That, that is without a doubt. But when you think about what you can do on a plant with all that data, you can make people's operational work safer. Mm-hmm. You can make them more prepared to do the job. You can give them better training. You can have better conversations with your engineers and with the manufacturers of your equipment because you have better knowledge about how that equipment is really performing. Mm-hmm. You can run alerts off it. And what you can do, and this is where you get to the digital world right now, if I know that data about my plant, can I now offer that to a service to one of my customers? Because I'm selling lubricant and fuel to my customers who are probably running much of the same equipment I am. Mm-hmm. So can I now say, because all of this drive is about moving from selling product to selling service around my product. So now can I offer the very thing I'm doing internally to my customers? I'm now going to help you with your preventive maintenance, and that'll add to my database. Oh, and look, now I'm getting even better at it. Mm-hmm. But of course, none of this, Elaine, is as easy as you think, because the manufacturers of that equipment are saying, oh, you know what, don't worry about talking to a shell. 
we know more about our equipment than anybody. In fact, don't even worry about their lubricant because we have our own lubricant we'll put in it. For all they know, they're buying that off Shell in the background. Our margin is going through the floor. But they're offering the service because they have access to the data. Mm -hmm. Whose data is it? Because whoever has the most data in this world and can analyze it and use it better than anybody else will win. There's no two ways about it. Yes. And, and how does that work in Salesforce? And what is Salesforce Einstein? <laughs> okay. So I think I went on a very interesting journey with Salesforce prior to, prior to joining. Uh, when I took over that global role, I realized lots of pieces of Salesforce were being used all over the company. I was trying to rationalize the number of applications. I thought Salesforce was a CRM. Uh, yeah, this is going back to 2015. Little did I realize what it really is. Actually, it allows me to bring data together around a particular thing, let's say. Mm -hmm. People traditionally think of, oh, it's a CRM. That's about a customer. Yeah. Substitute yeah. the word customer for employee, asset, supplier, engineer, whatever you like. Because what you're actually building around it is one view of that thing with workflow, very sophisticated workflow, with very sophisticated automation and integration engines and with very sophisticated analysis, i.e. things like the Einstein platform. And of course, very sophisticated ways of viewing that data in things such as Tableau. Mm -hmm. Once you get your head around that, this is where the new business models come from. We were moving data in our case, using uh, the MuleSoft middle layer out of some of our big central systems, putting that data together in ways we'd never done it before and then sharing it with the ecosystem of players around a particular business activity. So maybe I'm sharing some of that data with my customers so they can automatically see invoices, statement of account, inventory I'm holding on their behalf, um, uh, where that uh, uh, delivery is coming to them. A salesman has the view of exactly the same data on their device of choice. Mm -hmm. I'm creating APIs, so maybe my customers are hooking into my systems. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, um, my suppliers are coming onto that system to see what am I, what am I running low of a shell? What extra additives do I need delivered, et cetera, et cetera. You build an ecosystem of everybody who adds value to the service you are supplying. Mm -hmm. So everything that happens is out there in the cloud. That is what helps you to transform a company. Mm -hmm. So Salesforce, I mean, I'm stunned. When I took over as the exec sponsor from Shell to, uh, to uh, Salesforce, it was being used in the upstream to manage the life cycle of a well in the Permian Basin. It's got nothing to do with a customer per se, mm -hmm. but it's the workflow engine. It's the ability to bring all the data together you need, legal, regulatory, mm -hmm. parts, design around a well, and then through the operation of it. You, you see it used in HR where it's used as a front end to a work day in many of our customers mm -hmm. to offer a more user, um, you know, user experience around things that are pertinent to that company. Because what you don't want to do as a CIO is start customizing these big central systems. That is a path to expense, tears, and sorrow. Because <laughs> you can't upgrade, it costs you a fortune to test. That's the reason for using a platform such as Salesforce as this engagement layer and collaboration layer around these big systems. You're bringing data out of many systems and delivering it to me as an employee in a way that I want to use it, in a way that enhances the way I do my job. But why stop at the employee?
touch everyone who uses that business process. And that's the way you drive real transformation. I think this is quite fascinating. And I wonder if I may, um, in the episode description, put a link to Salesforce Einstein so my listeners Absolutely. have a look at it. I will talk to you after about this, but it'd be quite nice to put a link in there so the listeners can... No, I was going to say, I think, you know, there's three major themes in 2021 as we come out of COVID. This next episode is with um, a great supporter of Heads Talk ever since um, my first recording episode with her. That's Gisela Abam. Gisela is the chair of the General Pharmaceutical Council. She's also in leadership positions um, with a pharmaceutical company called Riverty. They previously were Perkin Elmer, and that's when I recorded the episode. She was then in the leadership position in Perkin Elmer. And Perkin Elmer has since um, split into two different organisations. And one of them is Riverty, and she now works there. And she's been the chair of a number of organisations, um, a member of a board um, of quite a few um, groups and organisations. Giselle has had a very interesting um, career to date. Very fascinating, very admirable as well. Um, please have a listen to uh, uh, a snippet of this episode. Um, at the beginning of this episode, I mentioned that um, you've been at the forefront of business growth and in fact initiated over £1 billion in new commercial opportunities. Where did you do that and how did you do that? So I did that at G Healthcare. Mm-hmm. And how, yes, and how I did it was really interesting because, as I said, G manufactures medical technology. So we have CT, for example, MR, ultrasound, and they were selling them at, you know, obviously that's the important thing. You're selling it that way. But coming in as government affairs and policy, to be able to speak to governments and help them with their priorities, to be able to work with hospital and ensure that they understand how our technologies and solutions could help them. I said, we have to present a portfolio in a way that is important to the government, which is by diseases. So the government are interested in the care pathway for cancer, for stroke, for heart disease, diabetes. So the MRSCT is about how can it help us achieve our objectives of saving lives for stroke, for heart disease. And it was interesting. So I had to spend a lot of time doing my own research, speaking to doctors, speaking to people internally, understand our different technologies and solutions. And one immediate area that I realized that we hadn't utilized as a company was stroke. So we had all the different technologies for diagnosis of stroke, but we, we hadn't positioned or packaged it, for example, a stroke. So I worked with the marketing team to do that and develop offering around that. We engaged with the Department of Health. We started working closely with the Stroke Association. And in fact, we actually won an award for stroke as a result of that. And by that, we even developed our clinical training for stroke professionals. And through that, it opened up a lot more opportunities for us for growth because the Hospitals were buying our stroke solutions. 
rather than us going individually saying, oh, we're selling an MR or CT. Yeah. So yeah. it brought us together and that's what we did. We formed teams around the diseases and sold that as solutions to some mm -hmm. of our customers. So that was really how I was able to create all those opportunities around the different diseases from cancer to stroke mm -hmm. to maternal, newborn and child health as well. And that's why I also wrote the white papers because understanding their needs, the white papers then helps to talk about the issues, the problems and the kind of solutions that we could provide really targeted and focused. Mm -hmm. Is there one place that we can actually find these white papers so I can put, put a link there in case people want to read them? So the white papers, because I wrote them over the course of GE and a couple of them when I was in Apt Associates, they are, and most of them are, how should I say, copyright of GE, but they, I can give you a link where you can find quite a lot of them, which is on the GE Healthcare website. Yes, um, yes under the public affairs, yeah. we, okay. you can get quite a number of them. So I can give you some links to some of them. That's fine. It's, you know, I, I think what will happen is listeners will listen to this and they will say, okay, I want to read a few of your, her work. Yes, yes. Okay, let's move on. Um, you are a global goodwill ambassador. Congratulations. Our first on the Let's Talk podcast. How did that come about? What are you achieving or planning to achieve? I know the Global Goodwill Ambassadors is just so good. And, you know, I, you know, because of my passion for health and making a difference, it's been an honor to be part of this group where we have professionals from all walks of life mm -hmm. who have come together really to improve the world, to help mankind through humanitarian causes. So there are lots of things that we do around helping the poor, um, really helping you know, people to be kinder to each other, to show care and love. And I think it's such a good organization in terms of bringing that because we need that in the world. Currently, what we're working on, which I'm just part of at the moment, is developing a free mental health course for people where people can read and learn about how they can improve their mental health when they are down or mm -hmm. they, are, they feel a bit low. It will give them some new ideas about how they can develop new goals, how they can become more positive. And we're launching that in January. Mm -hmm. So I'm really proud and honored to be one of the Global Goodwill Ambassadors. All right, that, that sounds interesting. What would it be? Would it be a, a course? Would it be? Yes. Right. Yes, it will be a course and it will be open to anyone. And at the end of it, you get a certificate. We're giving people tags to do along the line. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting. It's in different parts. And after each part, you have a little assessment, not, not in terms of trying to see how good you are, but just to help you so that you have basic steps that you can take to improve your mental health. So mm -hmm. there are steps from goal setting, to mm -hmm. how to improve self-belief. Even I have issues with self-belief. For years, I didn't think I was good enough and you find it hard to believe, but <laughs> that's the truth. Okay, all right. Now that concludes this episode of the Look Back series. I hope you enjoyed these snippets and do check out the full original episodes in the show notes.
thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders, and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.